time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call-in line is 646-716-4972. And now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin. Let's begin. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you here at the podcast. It's Monday, July 26, 2021. So many of you are listening to this live. I'm amazed at that. And I appreciate you taking time. We're just so grateful to have you as a listener. We spend a lot of time putting together podcasts that have great content. And again, this podcast is created by mortgage professionals. It is for mortgage professionals. And we're grateful to have you as our listener. Our commitment is to bring you timely information in an audio format that you can listen to anytime, anywhere. And today we've got a hot topic. Brent Chandler will be back with us from Form Free. Brent discussing the importance of capturing data, trust but verify the data, and then what that all means for the mortgage industry. So again, more vision casting for where we think things are going in the mortgage industry as it relates to aspects of it. So you're going to want to pay attention to the hot topic segment. Hope you guys had a great weekend. I did. I flew into Fargo, North Dakota, and it's so interesting. I grew up in North Dakota, so I hit the ground up there, and I all of a sudden start seeing the singy songy the Norwegian way up there. So yes, I'm 100% Norwegian, and we had a great time visiting family and friends. So if you hear me back in the yeah, our commitment that is bring you yeah, timely information in an audio format. Yeah, sure you betcha. Anyway, good to have you with us. Had a great vacation. So good to see our family up there. Anyway, I want to say thank you for the industry syndicate and all that they do. I was just talking to someone who listens to a number of the loan officer podcast in the industry syndicate website. Very popular, growing popularity. We're proud to be a part of industrysyndicate.com. Check out all the podcasts there. We have some great sponsors, the Mortgage Bankers Association of America, as well as Finastra with their mortgage bot solution and robust features and what they can do and how they use or define the fields and work with this customized base. You got to check this out. It's a real positive, effective system for those that are looking to upgrade to something that is of the latest generation. Check out Finastra's Fusion Mortgage Bot Solution. Some major developments going on there. Call them, talk to them about it, check them out. Lenders One, as well as the Mortgage Collaborative, both of these organizations are co-ops that create competitive advantages for lenders and their vendors. We've got the Lenders One Summer Conference coming up starting on August 8th, and we're going to be there through the 11th in Orlando. And then we know we have the Mortgage Collaborative Conference coming up, and I believe that's in September. So everyone's starting to get together. It's so good to see everybody. And they're starting to see posts of the different ones attending conferences and can't wait. We're so ready to get back together. I want to say also thank you to the Community Mortgage Lenders of America. They do a great job of helping independent mortgage bankers create competitive advantages. Also, they work with the MBA and having your voice heard, but another organization for independent mortgage bankers primarily. Also, Accelerate helps lenders close loans more rapidly through changing how lenders communicate and engage with borrowers. Listen to the interview we did with Josh Friend back on June 21st this year. Also, Knowledge Group, a great learning management system, as well as two really solid technologies, Mobility, MMI, Mortgage Market Intelligence, and Modex. Both of these have platforms for recruiting talent into your organization. We use both of them when advising and working with our clients. We're thrilled with them and you got to check out both of these, Mobility MMI as well as Modex. They're in our website 
in the advertiser section. I always want to say thank you to Rob, Les, Alice, Alan, and Matt for their contributions each and every week. Let's get over to Rob Van Rapphorst with this week's MBA Mortgage Minute. Rob? Hi, I'm Rob Van Rapphorst. Welcome to the Mortgage Minute and the latest news from the Mortgage Bankers Association. Late last week, the Biden administration announced new loan modification options for homeowners with government-backed mortgages still facing hardships from the COVID-19 pandemic. These new expanded loss mitigation options will lower monthly payments for FHA, VA, and USDA borrowers. The new policy is an attempt to align with the post-forbearance relief policies for borrowers with mortgages backed by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. MBA appreciates the Biden administration and HUD for its ongoing commitment to helping homeowners during the pandemic. However, there is industry concern that repeated changes to the loss mitigation waterfall could impact servicer performance and harm borrower outcomes. And according to MBA's latest forbearance and call volume survey, the number of loans now in forbearance has decreased to 3.48% with an estimated 1.74 million homeowners in forbearance plans. That's it for this week. Thanks for joining me. Good job, Rob. Appreciate the update. I'm just a little concerned about this latest Biden proposal that they had put out. I'm glad the NBA expressed that. Anyway, they have the concerns. Glad that. I pay attention to them. NBA and Rob do a great job of keeping our industry heading in the right direction, at least rates to policy and things going on in the Hill. Let's get over to Les Parker with this week's TM Spotlight and a macro view of the markets. Les, you were on our side. Where are you now that rates need you, Lagarde? Where are you now that rates need you? TM Spotlight Soundbite is brought to you by Power Seller, making hedging easy. The ECB failed to stay above its inflation goal over most of its QE life. So why raise the goal and extend QE? It does sustain a floor for the U.S. dollar, the opposite of the ECB's goal to sink the dollar. Imagine two primary ECB goals and both fall short. The world sees a weak European Union dependent on easy money. So the euro falls, which lifts the dollar, and in turn pushes down U.S. mortgage rates. ECB President Lagarde, we need you the most. These views are my own, you know. We need you the most at PMSpotlight.com. We need you the most. We need you the most. We need you the most. All right, Les Parker, you did a good job of trying to fit the message with that song. Good job. Matt Graham is here with us up there in Portland, Oregon. So good to have you here. Looking at your screen, Matt, you did such a good job of getting this information out to all of us on what's going on. So what is going yeah. on? Well, first, I mean, I might need a moment to sort of recover mentally from hearing Les say, I need you the most several times. That's haunting. <laughs> yeah. So what's going on? The ECB definitely figured prominently into last week's move. And it was a very big week for the bond market because we moved to the lowest yields in about five months, rather. And at a time where a lot of people thought, we wouldn't necessarily be hitting the lowest rates in five months. I think we were talking a lot about this intermission in rate in the springtime after the initial surge toward higher rates. And it remained to be seen at the time how long that would last and whether it would give way to a push higher or lower. But definitely we have our answer now. And it seems to have at least something to do with timing, with the Fed being admittedly unable to really come to a decision on tapering before this fall. More on that in a second. Two ways to approach last week. So it started off with this big move toward the lowest rates in a long time. And people sort of rushed to explain why that was happening. One of the explanations that was thrown around is that the market is getting ahead or getting ready for the ECB to send a rate-friendly message. And there could be something to that 
that for sure. There were a couple of comments out from ECB officials that would push markets in that direction, but nothing really materially different than had been out in the previous week. So I think it was a little bit of a stretch to give all the credit to the ECB. The thing that I thought was more prominent was stocks really tanking. And European bonds were rallying, European stocks were tanking, U.S. stock futures were tanking. And it was interesting because the stock guys were pointing toward the bond market saying, oh, the falling (laughs) bond yields are the reason that stocks are falling because stock investors are spooked that yields are falling so quickly. But zooming out to, you know, just a slightly wider frame of reference, it was definitely the stock market as far as this particular cause and effect chain is concerned. It was definitely the stock market sort of leading the way there because stocks bounced the day before bond found. And when they opened at 9.30 on Tuesday morning, shot up fairly significantly, and that was the big bounce for bond yields, and that was it for the week. Then we were sort of hold higher by stocks and then lower by a persistent strength in European bond market. Nonetheless, the important takeaway from last week is that 10-year yields moved under 1.3 to start the week and stayed there all week long for all intents and purposes. They may have traded a little bit over 1.3 here and there, but you blur your eyes a little bit, step back from the chart, take your glasses off. It looks like we came up to 1.3 as a floor in the previous week and then held underneath that floor last week. Oh, by the way, let's stay with last week for a second. It's important because we're talking about the different ways to look at the rally. So I think if we look at the very simplest approach, it is as simple as pulling up a chart of daily COVID case counts. And that ramp in case counts coincides extremely well with the drop in bond yields and also the media coverage, whether you agree with it or not, doesn't really matter, but increased media coverage of the Delta variant and it coincides with these increased case counts. So there's uncertainty as to what's going to be going on with the pandemic going into the fall. The Fed has been talking about the fall a lot and especially the school year and we have the school year coming up pretty quick now. I know it seems sort of crazy. Summer just started, but it's almost over, which seems to be the case every summer. And, you know, we have the Fed coming up this week, say something different in light of what's happened over the past week. And markets really sort of traded that on both sides of the possibility spectrum. But at first, as those case counts were ramping up, I think it was pretty safe to say that was the leading cause of the rally last week. And then you had Gottlieb at the end of the week saying that the Delta variant spike should be over by mid-August. And then people said, oh, okay, I guess I didn't realize that. And things calmed down a little bit. But all eyes are on the Fed this week. We do have several economic reports that are notable. Durable goods tomorrow, 8.30. We have the home price reports, but those are for the month of May. So not really current events in terms of economic data. Consumer confidence around the treasury auctions today, tomorrow, and Wednesday. Then Wednesday is the big one with the Fed rate decision on at 2 p.m. And it's not really a rate decision. They're not going to high grades. They're not going to taper bond buying. But what we're looking for is any shift in the tone based on recent developments with COVID and some economic reports that have maybe fallen a bit shorter than expected. GDP, it is the advanced reading of GDP, meaning it's the first look that we're going to get at Q2. And it is expected to come in at 8.6%, which would be a nice quarter after the recovery quarter in Q1 and pending home sales at 10 a.m. Last but not least, on Friday, core PCE inflation and Chicago PMI. 
The inflation reports probably still aren't at a place where traders are going to freak out about them. I've been surprised myself at just how docile the reactions have been to these 4% numbers and whatnot. And I'm usually the guy that pushes back on inflation hawk saying, okay, it's not the 80s anymore. We don't need to freak out quite so much. But I would have expected a bigger reaction to some of the recent inflation reports that have been balmy, say the least. So I don't think PCE has very sharp teeth unless it is just drastically far from the forecast. Even then, you're still going to see Fed officials and economists explaining it away as COVID-related supply chain disruptions. And that probably allows bonds to live to fight another day. But majority of the guidance should be taken from the Fed Wednesday afternoon. We're going to sort of decide if we're going to kick around in this new lower range or if we're going to begin a grind back up toward higher rates. And I've heard good arguments for both sides of that debate. So I'm not really taking anything for granted as far as the next move is concerned in rates. But as far as rates are concerned, between the removal of the adverse market fee and the bond market rally, as any originator with a rate sheet knows, things have been pretty dang good and are starting the new week in good shape as well. That's what I got for this week, Dave. Uh, Good job. Good job. I love your website, all the information up there. One of the first things I do is you start looking at the bonds. So the video page, the live news stream is one of my favorite features in there as well. It's always interesting listening to what's going on in the chat room. Of course, the data. Yeah, you're smart and trying not to guess where rates are going. Les Parker's done a pretty good job of saying rates are going to come back down. He's more on that side of the equation. I have to check up and get his latest update on that. He's been one of the most accurate out there. Matt, appreciate it so much being here. Have a great rest of the week and look forward to having you, you back here next week. Keep up a great job. You do an excellent job. Thanks, Dave. Have a good one. You too. Alice Alvey is here. He's Alice's CMB Vice President of Education and Training at Union Home Mortgage. And she's got this week's legislative update. Alice, how how are you doing? You don't have that at all up there in Michigan now that you're living in Ohio. So. Not quite that. We have the A, right, from a, a. Uh, being close to Canada. Well, the, the Michiganders get that. Of course, we're Michiganians or something now. But anyway, yes, I'm still trying not to crack up listening to you talk that way. That was hilarious. So not too many people get to hear that Norwegian accent. <laughs> Kick it in every once in a while. When I feel like. So, yeah, listeners, you get to see this other side of Dave, right? Yes. All do. right. Well, a quick legislative update here. So, Rob focused on the FHA component that was in the MBA news link. And mm-hmm. for those of you who don't subscribe to that, I recommend it. It really does help keep everybody updated. There was a couple of things in there I wanted to just make sure everyone saw. One of them was the New York MBA is requesting a veto of this new New York CRA bill. So it's made it all the way to Governor Cuomo's desk. The idea that there would be a Community Reinvestment Act mandate on a non-bank, so on lenders in particular. This is so problematic because CRA's fundamental principle is that a bank took deposits from a community and therefore should be reinvesting in that community where it's right. holding those funds for as it's earning revenue from that. And that doesn't happen if you're an independent mortgage banker, right? IMBs, of course, do everything they can. We don't say no to applications, right? That's we right. take everybody's applications. Wants yeah. to apply. So for us, because it's our line of work, we're very focused on making sure we're going into all the markets where we do business and this just doesn't fit well. We don't have deposits that earnings from the community. And so I really do encourage everyone. We have seen many times in the past where a particular piece of state legislation then starts to get legs in other states. So we do like to make sure we're all helping fight the battle at the state level as well. Yep. Another thing that they brought up was 
as this mentioned in last week's show, I was talking about the housing piece that's in this infrastructure bill, $600 billion worth, and part of it giving down payment assistance money. Well, the minute you put housing and infrastructure and legislation, it starts to also bring up the conversation of, well, where is the money going to come from? And of course, they look at increasing guarantee fees that the agencies charge to the lending community. So again, we've got to make sure that we don't have fees that are completely unrelated being pulled from lenders and the mortgage industry in order to fund other things. I mean, even if someone tries to make the case that, well, there is housing money in this legislation, that's a fixed dollar amount. It's going to get spent, it's going to go away, and the GC being in there is, is being taxed on everyone, and it would you know, be difficult to turn around and take it back out again. So it would be in long-term, long after that down payment assistance may or may not go into place. So we're watching it very closely. The MBA is on it. So uh, definitely, for those of you who do reach out to your Congress people, make sure that that's on your list of things to reach out to. Last but not least, they did bring up about the postponement of the conclusion for making sure there's an alignment that stays between qualified residential mortgage and the definition of a QM. Now, Dave, I was looking at this. You know, the Dodd-Frank Act started in 2009 and our show was on the air then. So it's really been 12 years that we've been on the air. Wow. So I went back and checked that. Yeah, because we started with talking a lot about the Dodd-Frank Act as it was in process. So July of 2010 is when that went into effect and we're still dealing with it today and trying to make sure those pieces align. So for those of you who weren't around that long ago, QRM is where the Dodd-Frank Act states that if you're a lender and you purchase loans that are not a qualified mortgage, then you need to keep at least 5% of that credit risk with any securities that you create. And so that's why there's such a focus for a lot of companies. I need to just have QM. Don't want to end up in that bucket of needing to hold back 5% some additional profits, revenues for credit risk protection. So in any case, I just wanted folks to know that's what that piece meant in the uh, MBA news link that went out today. Still trying to finalize these last bits. But the good part is, as far as that goes, we've got everybody on board with us, American Bankers Association, National Association of Home Builders, National Association of Realtors, Housing Policy Council. Lots of folks are in agreement with us on many of these issues. So that's my update for today, Dave. I'll pass it back to you. Very good. Thank you, Alice. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's really interesting how important the MBA is and their niches and what they're doing to try to make an influence on all of this. And so, yeah, 12 years, though. Can you believe this? How time flies when we're having fun. Alice, thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day and week. Look forward to having you back here next week. All right. Alan Pollack could not make it, so we're going to be not having the tech update today. But be sure to go back and check all of the podcasts. They're there on our website. If you go back to the website and at the top of the menu structure, you'll see where you can download and listen to a number of the tech updates. So, Miss Alan, it's summertime. Summertime, summertime, some, some, summertime. That's time for some of us to get away. And Alan's obviously gone away. So he'll be back. We've got some great upcoming podcast listeners. I am so excited about the content that we are creating here and sharing with you. We're recording it and we're editing it and doing all the things we need to do on our side to deliver quality. But it's really interesting, some of the interviews that we have upcoming. So stay tuned. Share this podcast with others. Next week, we've got Ken Perry coming on, owner of the Broker Knowledge Group and the president and founder of Knowledge Coop. Love these guys. I love what they do and the way they educate It's true edutainment. If you do not know what that is, go Google that. It's where you bring together education and entertainment. He does a masterful job of it, and he's become a great friend, and I use his platform. 
for my business. So anyway, check out podcast that's coming up next week. He'll be live with us, and that's always entertaining. So I want to say a special thank you again to our sponsors, Finastra, the CMLA, or the Community Mortgage Lenders Association of America, as well as Lenders One, Incelerate, Mobility, MMI, Modex, as well as MBA, the Knowledge Coop, and the Mortgage Collaborative. Thank you so much, sponsors, for making this podcast possible. Thank you, listeners, for taking the time to listen and share this podcast with others. Have a great week. Look forward to having you back here next week. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin' of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.